Hello, all you cool cats and kittens. Welcome to ADD Masterminds. It is, um, I was going to say jazzy, but that doesn't work. Like, I wanted something that's like an alliteration for bridge. I got nothing. I'm Bridge Livewatt, just plain old Bridge Livewatt. And I'm here with Jimmy, the talking table. Hello, it is I, Jimmy, the talking table. <laughs> You've just given up. Right. I guess I'm the talking table now. Yeah, I just, I just take it. I just take it. All this <laughs> bullying is getting to me. You know, you should take my wife's digital citizenship class that she gives all her kids. Yeah, I, I hope I'm not giving you flashbacks. <laughs> Childhood was rough. With the last name of Humphrey, you can imagine what junior high was like. <laughs> Enough said. Yep. So how you doing, Jamie? Doing good. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to be back on the ADD uh, thing. Man, <laughs> I am on today. Like, Man, look at that. On point. Like, that aren't you guys? Aren't you guys glad, guys and ladies, glad that you pressed play today? That was a great Joe Biden impersonation. I really appreciated it. We're not political though. This is the Joe Bleep. <laughs> all right so again without getting political so um jerry falwell jr hey you wanted to talk about that um i think there's something to say i mean like aside from all of his support of president bleep um i think there were some other issues with this um gentleman um so, I mean, basically, it all kind of came to a head with this cruising picture where he was, it was like a photo thing they were doing to imitate the Trailer Park Boys, which right. every good Christian has seen that show. Absolutely. Um, I instantly knew what they were talking about. Yeah, I did, but <laughs> because that's my demographic. But you're, but you're, you're in tune with pop culture. I'm, I'm less so. Yeah, that, that show's pretty garbage, but... I really, I really watched it as a cultural study of um, the people I typically work with. So, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it has its funny moments for sure. It's like, um, there's this guy, uh, Ricky, and he always like mixes up sayings. And so he's like, yeah, might as well get two birds stoned. <laughs> so he's pretty funny. But anyways, so that's kind of what started this whole thing. Um, aside from some of his like inflammatory, like political, um, like, I mean, there's one thing, I mean, Franklin Graham supports the president all the time and it's like, whatever. Um, not, not necessarily everybody's cup of tea, but that's fine. But like Falwell would take it further, um, and would kind of mock, you know, some racial issues and it's just, it was crazy. Um, and so this, um, this Instagram picture that showed him with a young lady that was not his, his wife. And they both had their pants undone and he had his arm around her. Um, it was just kind of like, what, aren't these the kind of things that like kids get <laughs> right. kicked out of the university for, right? And then that put him on leave. And then after he was put on leave, it came out that it was uh, the pool boy again. And I, I know like years ago, this whole pool boy thing came out and people thought it was maybe an affair that Falwell was having with the pool boy. 
but it turns out it's like his wife was having an affair, but Falwell apparently um, was there when it happened and was consenting to this. And so it, it's gotten really weird. Right. So um, I guess I, what's what I was thinking, and I, I know you did a podcast on hypocrisy and I, I haven't listened to it. I'm sorry, but um, John, what are you doing with all your free time? <laughs> what was your like, Without giving away the whole episode. Um, uh, so what over at Jimmy. Take, what's the takeaway from that? Like, what do you think leads to this Christian hypocrisy that we see in leaders from time to time? So my basic takeaway, and you can listen to it at jimmystable.com mm-hmm. uh, for those of you who want to on hypocrisy, but um, hypocrisy happens in community. Hmm. And it's really something that it's not something, like you can't be a hypocrite on an island all by yourself. It's kind of hard to do that. Hypocrisy involves expectations, whether expectations that you've placed upon yourself and that you are having others hold you up to, or those are expectations that just the community has uh, lifted up to begin with. And so basically, you know, even though Jerry Falwell is definitely guilty of some pretty shady stuff here, you know, we have to understand that these things don't happen in a vacuum. Um, Mm. And they do happen in the context of community uh we start placing expectations on people um hope holding them up to standards um and eventually they realize that maybe they don't quite but they know those are the standards so they got to keep making show just the same um and it eventually uh catches up to them um it can't stay hidden and it's uh, a friend of mine called it a a form of self-sabotage um, because you willfully engage in this behavior at some point, knowing that you're not what others are expecting of you, um, but you proceed anyway. And I do sense that. I do sense that in this situation that it was self-sabotage. And I know like originally when he started making like a little bit racy comments, people would say to him, you're a pastor, you shouldn't be doing that. And he's like, I'm not a pastor. Right. <laughs> and it's like he, I, I'm not sure what his background is, but it, it was interesting because when I was talking to you on one of the Facebook hangouts, you had a friend who was from Liberty University mm-hmm. that explained some things that I thought really put this into perspective. And it's like basically Falwell, he's a, is his background business? Yeah, he's a, basically a real estate guy. Uh, I mean, his, there we his, go. Dad, his dad, of course, was Jerry Falwell. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, his, his other brother took over the, the actual church aspect of what his father had started. Um, right. Jerry Falwell Jr. was brought in as kind of the real estate business tycoon type guy who was going to make Liberty University into a world-class college. Um, Which he really did, isn't it? Like, like oh, yeah, business totally. wise, it blew up. So oh, yeah. he did what he was supposed to, right. but I think he could feel the weight of these Christian expectations sure. and he kept doing these things that were self-sabotaging to be like kick against that. Cause it's like, yeah, I'm not going to be what you guys want me to be. Right. Even though it's part of the job description and he, yeah. you know, hip, hypocrit- hypocritically uh, required others to be the things that he himself was not willing to be. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, that's interesting. I've, I've never really thought of the community aspect of hypocrisy. But it's like there is a community that expects certain things of you. Um, right. And I, I think that's the interesting thing, again, about doing ministry outside of the church. It's like, you know, podcasting, doing music. 
which isn't necessarily, you know, under any kind of a ministry umbrella, but it's like, what are the expectations? Right. And it's like, it's whatever I decide, <laughs> you know? And Pretty so it's like, there, John. I guess if I were not practicing what I preach and didn't demonstrate, you know, the ability to hear someone out, because I think that's kind of what I preach everywhere I go is to hear people out. Um, yeah, and I, I'm going to talk about my biases later when we get to another topic here. But I, I think that... Um, we all have biases, which we'll get to. Um, all right, so here's the thing. I, I want to buy Elon Musk. <laughs> and I'm thinking if I like, were to do like a Kickstarter, um, I could probably drum up like $100 billion, and I think that's <laughs> enough to buy Elon Musk. What do you think? You're a money guy. Well, you know, his stock just tumbled uh, 25% in the last two or three days after a dramatic rise. So you might be able to get him on discount right now, you know. So maybe you could even get a two-for-one deal if uh, you, you know, play the market right uh, yeah. there. But, you know, I don't think it's a good idea to own people because, well, I think we've had, I think our countries have had that conversation at some point about the entire owning people thing. Um, it stopped being cool a while back. We can agree to disagree on this, Jimmy. <laughs> but I mean, if you if you can own anybody, own Elon Musk, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know you want us to kind of jump into owning the libs. I mean, um, he, he's practically a liberal himself. So like, you know, is owning a billionaire the same thing as owning the libs? But he was know, backing should... Kanye, though. I, I bet you he's more of a libertarian than a liberal. Probably, probably. But, you know, I bet if you wanted, if you wanted to get a decisive opinion about this, you should probably get Kyle Mann to come over here and tell you about, uh, you know, owning the libs and if that's the same thing as owning billionaire uh, liberal types. Yeah, I'm not on speaking terms with Kyle Mann. <laughs> but we don't talk politics. No, not at all. Um, I was, uh, I had a great Sunday. Um, I put on like the church streaming service. I actually wasn't here for the whole streaming service. I kind of stepped out and came back, but it was an interesting sermon. I'm trying to remember what it was about, but it was really about courage. Like they're doing a series on standing on snakes. And mm. every time they bring that up, I'm just like, Oh, are we going to talk about not being afraid of COVID and all this stuff? I'm like, this is getting a little weird, but, um, I then listened to a bunch of Hillsong United, like from their album, the one that has oceans on it, Zion. And it was just like, it was really cool. And then I followed that up with watching, you know, the last um, episode of the Bible series, um, the mini series on Netflix. And then I followed it with the first episode of AD, which is basically the continuation of the Bible series. So it's like Jesus is risen from the dead. And then it's like now these disciples and watching everybody change, watching Peter become something totally different. And um, something that really stuck in my mind was one of the believers says to the other believer, remember, the door is open to everyone. And there's just something about the early church that I'm just like, wow, I think we've lost a lot of that. When we get caught up in let's own the libs when we yeah. get caught up in 
this person is a president bleep supporter. So I hate him, <laughs> you know? And I, I'm like, the door is open to everyone. And getting back to the basics, it's like, we're so off mission when we get into a lot of our, into our factions and are just like, well, there's these people that believe this, there's these people that believe that. And I was, you know, talking to another Christian this week and she said to me, you know, you, you know, a lot of things theoretically, you understand a lot of concepts theoretically, but do you actually know Jesus? And I'm like thinking, I do, but I'm not showing that right now, am I? Mm -hmm. And it's like, I do know him. And I'm like thinking, I don't want to have to prove to this person that I know Jesus. No, well, you should have just turned some water into some wine, right? It, well, I'm like, that should be evident. Like that should be right. evident in how I approach everything. And so it's like, there's always this kind of, you know, in all that I do, there's always kind of like this um, presence, the presence of God in all of it. Right. And it's like, I can get right into the theoretical, but it's like my, my intention is still to point people to the divine. I mean, that's what the living water is. That's what this name I came up with is all about. I'm the bridge to living water. And so, but it was, it was interesting having that kind of question asked of me. And I'm like, huh, that's a good reminder to stay on mission. I, you know, I recently read uh, Ed Stetzer's book about um, oh, uh, Christians in an age of outrage. And uh, he talks a lot about social media. And he says that, you know, that's one of the things that we need to be focused on when we're on social media is being mission minded because mm. Just because we're on social media doesn't mean we get to drop, uh, you know, all the rules of Christianity and all the things that we're supposed to be as Christians. Um, instead, we need to approach every every individual um, that we engage with um, with what he called a winsome love, um, and you know, and, and because we're doing that out of a sense of mission, so we can't. There there isn't time for us. The the stakes are too high for us to be this sarcastic sort of person out there punking everybody and owning the libs um you know that's opposite of the the ways that we see christ often acted and the apostles um especially when they were engaged in outreach um yet when it comes down to it at the end of the day we can be just as crass and sarcastic uh and it's something i'm guilty of um but it's you know something that uh we ultimately suffer for because we do forget our mission um, and we kind of fall into this hypocrisy um, that we hold up a standard um, and, you know, try to claim to represent the name of Jesus, but then we don't. Yeah. So we kind of become hypocrites like Jerry Falwell. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the funny thing, you know, like it's like how many times have we heard people outside of the church say, I don't want to go to the church because they're all a bunch of hypocrites. Right. And it's like, I, I remember actually when I was teaching public school, um, you know, a kid said that to me, he's like, I don't like religious people because they're all a bunch of hypocrites. And I said to him, I'm like, okay, like, let's just think about this for a minute, though. It's like, if you make up all the rules, if you decide this is what mor morality is, and you make up the rules, how hard is it to follow them? And I'm like, the problem with religious people, and I didn't even indicate I'm a religious person. I was just saying the problem with religious people is that they're trying to live up to a standard they did not create themselves. So 
there is a guarantee that at some point they're going to fail on that standard. And I mean, the telling thing is how you deal with the fact that you're not living up to that standard. Because right. again, we talk about the Apostle Paul saying, follow my example. Yet he's the same guy that says, I do not understand the things I do because what I hate to do, I do. Hmm. I don't know what translation is that is. I think it's like um, worldwide, worldwide message tribe translation. I oh. believe that's verbatim from the song they wrote. But anyways, <laughs> um, but that's but that's it, right? Like it's like being able to accept correction humbly makes right. you a good example for the other believers. So right. let's do that. And let's stop making excuses. Stop saying, well, I'm just a terrible person. Everybody's terrible. Right. And it's like, no, no, no. It's like, I need to do better. I need to, I need to represent the name of Christ by allowing him to transform me. It's not a matter of my own doing that's going to make me a better person, but it's like me submitting to the work that he's doing in me. And being the hands and feet of Jesus in doing what he tells me to do. Right. Yep, absolutely. Well said. Thank you. Um, <laughs> okay. I like sparkling water. So what's your problem with sparkling water? Well, I mean, we, since we're all having to agree that everybody pretends like sparkling water, I like sparkling water too. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we no, all? I, I mean, here's when, my, when I think it's an acquired taste. Yeah. Um, like right now, what I'm drinking right now is regular water, but I, I had sparkling water earlier and just put a little bit of flavor in it. Actually, peach is pretty good, but it's an acquired taste. I saw a great meme today that talked about uh, sparkling water. Um, it's like, hmm, this one tastes like somebody let a, a Skittle slowly dissolve in it. <laughs> Actually, one... my, uh, my brother-in-law calls it disappointment water. Yeah. Because he's like, you go up to it and you can smell. It's like, oh, this smells like peach. And then you drink it and it's like, yeah, there's just a whisper of peach right. in there. It's, it's disappointing. Um, my, uh, my son's girlfriend calls it um, angry water. Angry water. I think that's pretty that's... good too. Anyways. All right. So, um, yeah. I, I can't say I super love sparkling water, but I like it better than regular water, and it's nice for a change because I don't really drink stuff with sugar in it. I really love regular water. Like, I drink tons of regular water. Like, my wife says she's never seen somebody in her entire life drink so much regular water. I just, like, I just can't get enough of it. I keep a big mug at my desk all day, and I probably get up to fill it up at least three or four times throughout the day at work. And Do you pee a lot? Um, maybe, I mean, I guess, I mean, once every couple hours, I don't know about if that's a lot, but, uh, you know, I, I feel like I hold it in pretty well. Uh, nice. <laughs> I don't have to pee right now. That's um, good, man. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I like regular water. It's like, I, I will say though, I used to not really like it. Um, and then I like realized at one point in my life when I was like 20, I was working at Target or somewhere and I was always getting carts and because I was really good at getting carts apparently. And so the manager was always like, hey, can you go get the carts out of the parking lot? I was like, sure. And then so I'd do it. It'd be 100 degrees outside, uh, which is like, I think, what, 40 degrees Celsius for you guys or whatever it is. Um, but uh, 
so I would go down there and do it and I'd come back in and I'd always refresh myself with a Coke. And eventually I like sat there and thought about it. I was like, you know, I can't even remember the last time I drank just water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that kind of scared me because I had an older brother who was having um, kidney stone problems and he drank nothing but Coke around the clock. And I was sitting there thinking, um, man, if I want to not have kidney stone problems, and this is not intentional, by the way, uh, I did not mean to bring up kidney stone problems considering our, our friend. Um, so, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I got afraid of it and I was just like, no, I need to start drinking water and I didn't really like it. But then I just like became addicting and I just like, to me, ice cold water. It's like, it's amazing. It's, it is refreshing. I do like water for sure. It's great. Um, all right. So you have a theory about Taco Bell getting rid of Mexican pizza. Yeah. Do they have Taco Bells? Do they have Taco Bells in Canada? Oh yeah. Have you been to Taco Bell? Um, like once or twice, like to me, tacos is something I can easily make at home way better than fast food. Sure. Absolutely. I, I hate going to any talk, any taco place like, well, fast food taco, right? There's also a taco time, which I think might just be a Canadian thing. Probably. But it's just, it's just garbage tacos. (laughs) I mean, like if I went to like a Julio's Barrio or like, you know, like there's, there's upper scale kind of Mexican where it's actually food. But right. Taco Bell, it's like, it's not even real food. And I'm like, I can make a far better taco here. Oh, yeah, I, I I've had this argument before. And then people are like, well, what about burgers? Can't you make something better than McDonald's? I'm like, I can't make a Big Mac at home. <laughs> but there's just something about tacos where it's just such a simplistic food that I'm right. like, how do you make it worse than I make it at home? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's sad, though. Taco Bell, I saw in the news that as of, I think, November, they're phasing out their long fan favorite Mexican pizza. And I read in one of the news articles, because I've read multiple news articles on it, but I couldn't believe it. Um, you know. <laughs> in food news today on ADD Masterminds. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're, they're getting rid of it because the box that they serve it in, they serve it in like a little square box that's, I don't know, about seven or eight inches by seven or eight inches wide. Uh, this cardboard box and like apparently they as a company have committed to reducing their carbon footprint and they've been really looking at their menu and their practices at their store to determine how they could do that and so they're getting rid of the Mexican pizzas at Taco Bell because it it it's the food that they serve the most that requires the most paper product um, mm. and uh, and whatever else they use to, to you know help make it um so apparently they feel it's ultimately bad for the environment so they're like the mexican pizza that i've been eating since like 1997 is going bye-bye and i didn't even know uh, that exists yeah maybe it doesn't exist in canada oh man it's it's fantastic it's a lot of people like it and but i have a theory that like i feel this is unfair because of all the things at taco bell and i don't eat taco bell much i prefer to eat my own tacos i make great tacos at home so it's way better yeah, but, uh, you know, I used to have my Taco Bell Church of God back in the day. Uh, mm-hmm. So I've had my share of Taco Bell. And yeah. um, my theory is, having eaten through Taco Bell's menu quite a bit over the years, is that they hurt my, the Mexican pizza hurts my stomach less than the other stuff. So I feel like I use less toilet paper. Um, so I feel like Taco Bell's not looking at the full 
uh, picture here because if it upsets my, if, if the other uh, food upsets my stomach dramatically and I have to use all the extra toilet paper um, when I, you know, get a case of uh, running for the border, um, I feel like, uh, I feel like they should keep the Mexican pizza because even though it may require more upfront uh, impact on uh, carbon footprint of the universe or whatever, um, when it comes to the after effects, I feel the after effects are far less deadly and toxic for the world. Think of the bigger picture, Taco Bell. Absolutely. Bring back the Mexican. Such narrow-minded thinking. Yeah, man. This is like, they're just not thinking big picture here. No. Um, hey, did you ever try uh, McDonald's pizza? Do you remember McDonald's pizza? I've heard rumors of one, but I've never had one. Oh, they were so good. I loved it. <laughs> I was a teenager, though, so my taste may have changed since then. Right. Hopefully. It, like, burnt, though. Like, it was, like, really hot in your mouth. It was always super hot. I bet. All right. Hey, this was a Facebook post I think I shared. Um, we got to send kids back to school so that one day they can become doctors and scientists and then everyone can ignore them. I don't know how that's not political, but <laughs> I mean, this is the same as like, I, I made a post um, yesterday where I said, my scientists are better than your scientists. Right. Um, this is where my bias is because I work in a scientific field. And so um, COVID management is part of my job. And so I was thinking about this because, um, you know, my wife's a teacher as well. And I was saying to her, you know, when people come to us with like COVID isn't real or there's only this many deaths, it's not a big deal. And it's like, or we should all just get it. Um, I'm <laughs> like, that's hard for people like you and I because part of our jobs is to make sure people follow the rules. So if my job is to make people follow the rules and show them how to follow the rules, for you to tell me all of this is like useless, it's like, it's too much cognitive dissonance. I'm like, I can't even consider your perspective on this. So I was like thinking, that's my bias. My bias is that I'm gonna side with these scientists because these scientists are in my field this is what i study regularly and so as far as epidemiology and like how many deaths how many hospital cases how many like what's bad with that i'm like i'll let all you smart facebook people figure that out <laughs> but like for me i know a lot of, about how to control the exposure and i'm going to continue to advise people on how to control the exposure. So, I mean, that post is very tongue in cheek, but I mean, in the end, someone who reads this, we gotta send kids back to school so that one day they can become doctors and scientists and then everyone can ignore them. It's like, well, here's the thing. Um, I have doctors and scientists that are saying COVID is not a big deal. I have doctors and scientists that say that vaccines are bad for you. You know, like everybody's got their own fact planet. And right. so my fact planet is more conventional science because my job is in conventional science. I'm right. not going to question whether, you know, benzene causes leukemia because studies in my area says that it does. And so I'm going to treat it as such because I also make money treating it as such. So just laying my cards on the table, guys. 
Right. These are the scientists I side with because I get paid to side with these scientists. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're part of the uh, you're part of the cabal that's taking down the world, then, right? You're. I am. <laughs> you know, we it's meet on we meet on Wednesdays, so. I, I'm still finishing it. I'm only one chapter away from finishing it, but I've been having a great time reading um, Tom Nichols' book, The Death of Expertise. Oh, it's great. Uh, I can't wait to come on Wax Museum and talk about it. It's been like a really great book. I'm really looking forward to what his conclusion is in the final chapter. Great. I've got um, next Tuesday, I'm doing another episode about socialism and talking about practical practical examples of socialism which people say doesn't exist so um i actually got a little bit of like feedback on like doing this episode on socialism and they're like i don't like how you guys straw manned capitalism why don't you have someone to debate this mm -hmm. and i was like okay here's the thing i was thinking about this and i'm like i'd be game for a debate and then i thought about it and i'm like hold on i have someone on the wax museum i can ask them like seven questions about their point of view allow them to articulate their point of view very well. Right. And then I can let people, you know, go on the comments section and argue and say, no, 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 this isn't fair. And I'll be like, hey, you come on the podcast and you can talk about it. And they can give me seven points. The alternative is to have two people go back and forth and argue three different points. Right. In the same amount of time. And, and I'm like, and in the end, I just, I really don't believe in debate anymore. Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm convinced that people see things the way they see them. And so I'd much rather see an expository of a point of view I don't agree with so I can learn from it. And it will, it won't change me to their point of view, but it'll help me better understand where they're coming from. And maybe I'll consider their point of view down the road. And I like that strategy better. Well, when you have a talking heads, just debating stuff, all you've recreated is Fox News or CNN. And we don't need another CNN or Fox News where, you know, two sides scream at each other about how they're wrong about, you know, socialism or capitalism. That's kind of tired. I, I, I do appreciate uh, shows like that where it's just the one side because, you know, I can always go listen to another side somewhere else if I'm really genuinely curious. Um, yeah. And for those of those who are not genuinely curious – well, they're not going to be listening anyway, so what's it matter? Also, I'm doing capitalism in two weeks. Fantastic. Who are you getting for capitalism? Um, my friend Brad Walker. Okay, fantastic. Very smart dude. So he actually sent me a photo, and it showed three books he was reading. Um, one was by Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand? Ayn Rand? Ayn? Ayn Rand? <laughs> um, the other one was on capitalism, I think. I don't know if it was John Stuart Mill. And then mm -hmm. the third one was the Communist Manifesto. Nice. And he just sent me this photo and I'm like, so when are you going to be ready? <laughs> <laughs> so apparently in two weeks, he'll be ready. So awesome. I, I'm excited about that. That'll be fun because I do have a lot of questions about that too. I did there are enjoy aspects it. I don't understand. And I think with any human ideology, it has its limitations. And there's a point where it's like, well, does that really make sense? Right. Um, well, enjoyed your podcast with your socialist guy. You mean... I mean, I know, you know, that I lean much more capitalist, but mm. I definitely enjoyed hearing his uh, nuanced perspective on the issue. Now, you know, I wish he would have explained more uh, hard, hard fact 
examples of it. Is he going to be the one that comes back and talks about actual yep, concrete? Yeah. Okay. Great. And that was the feedback we got was uh, some more practical examples. I'm like, cool, let's do that. Right. So, so yeah. Um, so tomorrow I'm going to try to come up with some questions for him, but I, I know he's got a lot of knowledge. I'll just let I, him talk. Well, I mean, does he really need to talk about examples? He talked about Lennon. He talked about Mao. He talked about, <laughs> you know, he already well, gave all the I mean, examples. That's the interesting thing too, right? Is like, um, people tend to cite examples where it's basically government run capitalism, which isn't quite the same thing. So, but anyways, I'll let him talk about it on Tuesday. Cool. Um, all right, so uh, you wanted to talk about the American versus the Russian COVID vaccine. You know, what's interesting is the different ways of testing the vaccine. Because in, in America, you have like clinical trials where you mm -hmm. have, I guess, volunteers or you pay people to take the vaccine. We'll see what happens. Um, and then in, uh, in Russia, they actually get their scientists to take the vaccine themselves. <laughs> so I was like, what? Really? Well, then they also injected Putin's daughter. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think there's public officials too that get injected with it to prove that it's, that it's fine. Right. So, right. Well, I mean, um, they could have gotten the, uh, they could have got, for all we know, they got the uh, placebo. <laughs> yeah. No, we don't know. We don't know. So, right. what, did, what did you want to say about them versus them? Uh, Is this kind of like a well, race to I, the moon? I, I, yeah, I find it interesting because it's kind of taken that context, you know, I mean, so much so that Putin has called it, what, uh, Sputnik 5 or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, man, that's kind of, that's kind of badass uh, for him to do that. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's definitely looking at it as like a moonshot sort of situation and first to be on the moon. And, uh, you know, Trump's out there saying by the end of the year or before the election, it's going to happen. And it's kind of like, I definitely understand the urgency uh, behind it. It definitely makes sense. But at the same time, part of me is like, before we create something, can we at least make sure it really works before we just go start injecting people with stuff? Um, and even though I'm confident that they've created enough vaccines out there to fight similar types of other COVID, non-COVID-19 non type things, um, you know, so I have, a, I'm, I'm sure they all kind of have a pretty good working idea of what they need to do. And that's why they've been able to create theoretical vaccines so quickly. But, uh, part of me is like, um, let's just be careful. I'm, I'm willing to wait a couple extra months, especially since I'll probably be one of the last people to get one of the vaccines anyway, just simply because I'm not important enough. I'm not old enough and I don't have enough diseases, um, uh, to, you know, justify being the first person in line. Um, but, uh, I think I'll definitely wait as much as I would like to get one of those vaccines. Um, but I would be interested in signing up for one if one actually goes through the normal process, but I don't want to partake of anything that was like, man, we rushed this. Well, that's, I mean, that's the thing, right? It's like, um, I just want to say to America and Russia right now, girls, girls, you're both beautiful. Okay. <laughs> Let's not you, get into a contest here. Are, are you guys going to piggyback off us? Are you guys waiting for us in Canada to make the vaccine? Or do you guys have your own people? I think we got, we got people. We do have people working on it too. Um, I, I think this is the thing is I'm just not a big fan of egos. Hmm. I think if we, we chase ego, we do stupid things. 
right like put out a vaccine too fast and so like to me it's like well let's wait and see and i mean i guess your next question is like um would i be willing to take the vaccine made available prior to november if america has one available for me, I'm probably just going to wait and see how that all unfolds because I haven't necessarily taken the flu vaccine every time either. I'm just kind of like, well, let's see how this goes. We'll see how this batch goes. Maybe I'll try it, you know? <laughs> and so, I mean, if they make it mandatory, yeah, of course I'm going to do it. I'm not going to fight the government on that. And I'm like, if they're injecting me with something that's going to kill me, oh, well, they murdered me. It's like, whatever, right? But I... um. But yeah, as far as voluntary, I'm not going to be the first person to take this because I don't know. What happens if they put a microchip in it? Oh, I guess they're going to find out that I went to the grocery store. <laughs> um, I was, uh, I can't remember what I was reading. I read a bunch. Um, I went camping and I did a bunch of reading. And um, one of the books I read talked about how um, there's, low context and high context societies and i think it was saying that the bible is a low context society when it comes to language and we live in a high context society so if we were going to say something if i was going to write a letter like paul did i'd be a lot more descriptive of the context but the way paul wrote his letters it was just like yeah you know I don't, I don't allow a woman to preach. I don't allow a woman to speak or whatever. And I mean, it's funny because I've heard so many different interpretations of that scripture. And one of the interpretations was like, he was quoting somebody and mocking them. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, a lot of this too is like, we're trying to um, limit people by a letter in which we overheard someone say something to somebody else. Right? right. And so it's just, it's messy, but I, I just thought that was interesting. Like low context versus high context. Did you ever hear, hear about that in Bible college? Uh, I, I mean, I understand different types of context. I've never heard that phrasing high context versus low context though, but I definitely um, stood, you know, looking at scriptures and their historical grammatical literary context um you know that's what we looked at heavily in bible college mm -hmm. um okay agape i think i'm not sure uh what i read this and i started reading this book called no compromise which was talking about how christians should not accept evolution as a theory mm. which i'm like i feel like that ship has sailed and nobody cares anymore but like whatever um, so I was like, this is kind of interesting, but I, I think this was from that book where they explain what agape is. And it's like agape is concrete action plus practical concern, which is a form of love. And they didn't really, I think they were trying to indicate that agape is not an emotion. It's actually concrete action plus practical concern. Hmm. Although concern is an emotion, I think right agape i don't know i'm still like i'm still kind of like stuck on that notion that god is love and i'm like that's cool but it's like god is love doesn't mean that he's not just it doesn't mean you know it's like it's a love that's all encompassing 
right? I can't believe you're still thinking about this love stuff, John. What, what's that got to do with anything? What's that? What's love got to do with it, John? Right. We're, we're talking about uh, whether or not women should preach or not. Yeah. <laughs> you should only call me John when you're mad at me. Oh, okay. But then when you're happy, you're like, bridge. Bridge, bridgey, bridgey, baby. <laughs> yeah, I can't um, do it. Oh, I read this book called Do Hard Things. I didn't know it was a Christian book till I started reading it. And it's it's like the brothers of Josh, the I Kiss Dating Goodbye guy. Josh Harris? Yeah. Brothers write a book? Yeah, apparently he had two brothers who were twins who like did like a uh they did like an internship at the White House and all hmm. these big things that they accomplished. And so they wrote this book when they were like 18. And they had a website. It was called Revolutionaries. It's like revolutionary, but it's like with the word rebel in it instead mm -hmm. because they were cool like that. I had wondered if that was a typo when I was reading the notes earlier. I was like, should I correct that? But I was like, no, I'll leave it. <laughs> no, man. They made this word up because they're cool. I don't wow. know what happened to the movement. I hope... I hope there's still a website out there that looks like it's from 2003 or whatever. Oh man, that would be so Revolutionaries, awesome. Revolutionaries, come on. Anyways. That seems like such uh, 1990s Christianity stuff right there. You know, that kind of reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you ever listened to Art of Manliness podcast. Mm -hmm. um, I forget the guy's name, but he always talks about the strenuous life. And that's his thing, like deliberately living a strenuous life to test yourself to basically you know, see what you're made of. And that's, you know, part of being a, a man. Uh, but without being like, you know, this macho, uh, toxic masculinity sort of stuff. Um, but uh, committing to a strenuous life just makes your life better. Dudes, not toxic masculinity, potent masculinity. <laughs> Boom. I don't even know what I said there. And I'm very potent. No. I'm so potent. <laughs> so potent i've been tested no but like in a good way like i'm not yeah right yeah yeah i'm spicy <laughs> i'm like a i'm like a good dark roast coffee there you go for your brain i'm a dark roast coffee for your brain you look pretty white though john you might be more like a white mocha than dude that's the title of the episode i'm a dark roast coffee for your brain you, you are a dark roast co coffee for the brain that's awesome you ever you ever watch um you ever watch a movie um and you're just like waiting for them to like name the title in the movie <laughs> yes i hate i hate especially when it doesn't happen on movies on tv and they just start playing the movie and you have no idea what's playing and you're just like waiting there like what's it gonna be i missed whatever commercial preceded this to tell me and i just came in so what's the name of the movie yeah i uh, okay so i was making fun of that whole notion and then i went on a date with my future wife and we were like watching the movie the world is not enough james bond and they're like this guy's like the the villain's like i'm gonna give you the world and then james bond is like the world is not enough. <laughs> and she just looked at me and we both laughed. I, I know there's a thing like where somebody says like the title of the movie and, and you're supposed to say roll credits, right? Like that's the thing. So I don't know. I don't know when's the last time I watched a movie where they said the name of the movie, but. Guys, it's time for an infinity war. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, three pillars of a rebel lucianary. See what I did there? I see it. Um, character, competence, and collaboration. Ooh, mm. this is the antidote to being a hypocrite. Mm. So you've already got the, you were saying community, and that community is collaboration. Sure. But within that collaboration, you need to have competence, which it sounds like Jerry had competence, but he was missing one of the C's, it seems, character. And so he failed in that manner. Um, I would think he's probably still pretty good at real estate. You can keep doing that, though. Yeah, I'm sure if I needed some real estate advice, I'd probably be a good guy to uh, go ask some questions about real estate. I just have to make sure that I don't, he doesn't invite me to come over and clean his pool. This is true. <laughs> You're like, wow, you're a real go-getter. You want to go get? No. No. <laughs> no. no. Let's, there. <laughs> Let's move on. Hey, um, I was thinking about like, okay, so <sighs> there are times where I'll have a thought and I will share it. And it's almost like I share that thought thinking, is this incoherent or is it brilliant? And I think to some, it is incoherent. And maybe to some, it's brilliant. But maybe to all, it's incoherent. I don't know. But I was like, there's kind of a, um, it's almost like a paradox where things that are brilliant can appear incoherent and there could be a thought that's so brilliant that it's incoherent to everyone. Mm. And I'm like, that's interesting. And I mean, I think it's humbling too, because it's just like, I, I heard this, like I, this, this thought just struck me and I'm going to write it down and I post it and nobody gets it or <laughs> everyone gets angry. And I'm just like, I didn't even, wasn't my intention to make anybody angry, um, but they're seeing it as incoherent. Right. Um, I made a post a couple days ago where I said, those people who say, I miss the days when um, you could say things and everybody wouldn't get offended. And I'm like, what people really mean is, I miss the days when you could, say things that offended people and they were too scared to speak up mm. and man it was unanimous i got ratioed everybody <laughs> everybody just like replied with like nope nope that's not true nope that's not true and i'm like thinking about it, i'm like okay okay here's the thing if you are going around and every time you say something everyone's offended i don't think society is the problem right i think you're toxic not potent. <laughs> You're not a dark roast coffee. <laughs> You're not a dark roast. Well, maybe they'd like some cream with their coffee, John. Maybe oh, I love cream, cream with my coffee. Yeah, I think um, that, well, I mean, I, I, there's the entire Corinthians thing where Paul talked about how the, the natural mind cannot receive the things of the spirit because um, they're spiritually discerned. And so you speak in a wisdom that, you know, the, the rest of the rulers of this world could not understood because if they would have understood it, they wouldn't have killed Jesus. Um, so you could be speaking on that level, but uh, 
you know, there's definitely something to be said for the entire, well, maybe just saying shenanigans and, you know, nobody, you're just lucky enough that nobody has hit you yet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> totally. They're all going to find out I'm a fraud. Right. I mean, cause like, I think, you know, I thought you were making me think, but really you weren't. Right. <laughs> cause that's probably the comment I get most. You make me think it's like, okay. Yeah um yeah yeah wait he's not brilliant he's incoherent <laughs> but i just i love the like just the play on that between incoherent and brilliant i almost want that to be maybe a song thing we'll see well i mean sometimes that's how jesus kind of teetered on that sometimes especially with the parables they just were like you know okay i don't get what he just said it sounded good maybe <laughs> yeah oh man i love that and i love that concept and i like right. the idea part of me really wants people to just like be entertained and right. not understand the depth of what i'm doing at all like right. i just that's kind of a fun thought like same thing with the music i'm just like yeah it'd be cool if someone's just bopping their head to it and then <laughs> they don't know i'm making fun of them in the music i don't know <laughs> but. hey you know like we always talk about the harvest in church I, I kind of always think of it as like, I'm harvesting souls. Mm. I don't know. Almost that time of year where we harvest souls. What was that? It's almost that time of year we harvest souls. It's only uh, almost Halloween. Oh, dude. Halloween. I love making fun of Christians in Halloween. <laughs> All right. So my kids, my kids would um, do a harvest party at the Christian school they were at. And I said to my kid, you know what you should do? You should dress as a farmer. From hell! <laughs> a farmer from hell. That's fun. Um, the other thing I was thinking too is like there's churches that have Hallelujah Night. Right. I think they should rename it Hallelujah Night because I think that's <laughs> hilarious too. Well, you know, some churches, they, they skip over that, the trunk or treat, the Hallelujah Night or whatever. And instead they have one of those scare you out of hell festivals where like they get some really dramatic uh uh actors to come in and they put on like a very scary show and then mm -hmm. you know warn you about how you could die tonight and and hell's only a mile around the corner from here where the last person died and went to hell <laughs> you know uh and uh I, i've seen some churches do like really full-scale productions where they had like brought in fancy fog machines and had like people coming out of the floors and you know, pretending to be demons, dragging people into the floor and to take them to hell and people's ah, screaming as they, you know, fell uh, into hell. Definitely wasn't as funny in, as when Bill and Ted, you know, fell down that dark pit into hell uh, where they're just like, ah. <laughs> I wish I like like it's, yeah, the topic of hell is really interesting to me because I'm like, I know a lot of people outside of the faith that are like, Oh, you're just telling me about hell to scare me. And that's what the church does to manipulate people and sell hell is this concept that was made up and all this stuff. And, you know, I've read, I read uh, Keith Giles book about that. I read so much Keith Giles. It's mad. It's cool that I had him on the wax museum once. Maybe I'll have to do that again. But um, he talked about three different views of the afterlife. Um, there's the, um, eternal conscious torment, which is kind of that classic one, right? The classical, you stay alive, but you're tortured for all eternity. Um, annihilationism, 
And it's like this idea that um, a soul is not eternal unless it's in Christ. So it's like, why would God keep you alive forever if you're not in Christ? Like, that's an interesting concept. And then the third one is universalism, which he claims that the majority of believers, um, early believers, were universalists. But his universalism, the way he explains it, is not like everybody gets a ribbon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, that's funny, in case you didn't know. Um, it's not... <laughs> I was waiting. <laughs> Maybe that was an incoherent. It wasn't brilliant. Um, <laughs> anyways, yeah, so... But it's like this idea that there is fire after you die, but that fire is meant to purify. And so you're reformed, which is kind of similar, I guess, to the way Rob Bell explained the afterlife and um, whatever his book was. What was the one that made him farewell to everybody? Farewell to... Love wins. Yeah, love wins. Love wins. And love wins kind of had the same perspective. Which is kind of interesting because um, he's like, well, if everyone can choose heaven after they die, who ends up in hell ever? Like, why would you choose hell? And Bell said, you know what? There are people that choose hell every day here on earth. Right. And I was like, that in itself, like regardless of whether Bell is right or wrong about everything, that concept really rocked my world because I was thinking about times where someone's done something terrible to me and I'm just like, Oh yeah, you're going to do this to me. Well, I'm going to show you how terrible my life is because of what you did. And what am I doing? I'm putting myself in hell just to prove a point to that person, which is the dumbest thing. Right. And it's like, I refuse to do that now. So thank you. But I mean, that's, uh, there is a good point that, you know, I mean, I don't believe into the entire world. You're going to, you know, the fires of hell are going to purge you until you're a believer. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't see any idea of that whatsoever in scripture. And it's kind of like, why is God waiting? If if hell was such a great uh, purging tool to get everybody to eventually believe and come around to love Jesus, why didn't he just light the world on fire already? Um, you know, why isn't he just torturing people actively now to get them to come to Jesus instead of preaching the gospel? But anyway, um, but I, the idea that people do choose hell is, you know, something that we do see on a daily basis with people's yeah. lives. Like I know people who deliberately choose to be in bad, toxic, horrible relationships, mm-hmm. um, that they know are destructive, but they choose to stay in it anyway. And yeah. the hell of the matter is that people at the end of the day, they love their sin and they're willing to die and go to hell for it. Um, and the simple fact of going to hell is not going to be enough to purge people from their sin. Because at the end of the day, um, as, as the old timers would say, we are sinners who love our sin. Um, and that's a, a thing that I don't think some of the universalists and, and others are willing to really grasp with is that, no, there are some people out there, and I've been one of them who loves sin. It's kind of like uh, a former pastor of mine talked about when he, before he was a believer, he's like, I was never miserable in my sin. He's like, when I was drinking and getting drunk and doing drugs and sleeping with prostitutes, I was having a fantastic time. Um, and I enjoyed every minute of it. See, and, I still see that as empty though. 
Like right. ultimately it's an empty thing. So like this idea that if there's not, you know, this terrible thing in the afterlife, you might as well live like a pagan or no, maybe right. pagan's not the right word, but live like a totally deprived individual, you right. know? And I'm like, I, I don't get that. Like, I really don't get that because it's like a life without love, a life without laying down your life for other people is not a life worth lived. It's worth living. It's, it's an empty life. And so I, I still think, you know, that there is you like great things about Christ's teaching that are for this life and for the next life. Right. And I mean, I've said this a few times to people. I'm like, man, even if I'm totally wrong about there being an afterlife, it's like, I'm cool. Like, I'm like, it's like a Pascal's wager thing where I'm just like, I'm still going to live my life as if all of this is real because right. I do have a sense of the presence of God and everything I do. And I love what I do and I'm mm -hmm. enjoying it and I want to make the world a better place. Well, my former pastor's point wasn't that like hell eventually scared the sin out of him because he grew up in a preacher's home where he heard nothing but stuff about hell all the time. Right. Um, and he said, you know, he loved his sin um, and he had no conflict with it. Like, you know, all the sex, all the drugs, all the whatever he could get, you know, he was all for it. But then he eventually came to the point where he realized that there was a man named Jesus who loved him. And he loved, and he in turn eventually loved him back. Um, and that caused him to forsake his sin. So, you know, I, I don't see hell so much as a tool to motivate people so much to, to forsake their sin. Um, I don't know that it ever really has had that effect when you saw it in, in the Gospels. Um, it definitely seemed like they were being compelled more by love and to see that the Lord was beautiful and taste and saw that the Lord was good. Totally. And, but they did mention, of course, Jesus mentioned hell more than anybody, but it was kind of like almost as a last resort wake up call to people who had become so calloused because of their sin that there was nothing left um, that you could do with them other than say, hey, you know, Pharisees, scribes, hypocrites, um, you know, woe to you. Um, and how's going to be worse for you on the day of judgment than Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, stuff like that was, you know, used when it was almost like there was nothing left to say other than I'm leaving you th with this as a final, you know, shot because you won't hear all the other good things that I told you about. Hmm. That's interesting. I really should do a couple episodes on hell. Ha, glory. Multiple perspectives. Right. Yeah, because that's, that's interesting to me. Because I'm like, for me, like, hell's not a deal breaker. I'm like, good with whatever. Because <laughs> I'm not planning on going there. So I'm just right. like, yeah. But, I mean, I think, you know, like, this idea that you're on the path to destruction, whatever destruction looks like. Because it's like, like I said, it's like that, you know, prostitutes and cocaine. I'm like, that's the path to destruction. Whatever that is. Right. Because that, that life is not going to last forever. <laughs> and even in this life, it's going to come crashing down. Like, you just can't live like that. But right. interesting. Um, I heard something on a podcast where they said, if it's hoof prints, 
is it a horse or is it a zebra? And I think it's like we have this like tendency to look at evidence and find evidence that aligns with what we think the most likely explanation is. Uh, and so like here in Canada, it's most likely a horse. What about <laughs> in America? Do you guys have zebras everywhere? Um, I haven't, no, I haven't seen... Uh... I can't remember the last time I saw a zebra. I'm going to have to pass on that. I know there's a lot of uh, equestrian uh, places around here. So maybe somebody has a pet zebra. Maybe even somebody has a unicorn. I don't know. Yeah. Uh. Well, I, I think, you know, I was listening to the Vox podcast and they had Pete Enns on it. And um, one of the things um, the lady that was talking to Pete Enns was saying is like, I've been reading the Bible and I've been realizing I should not be placing my own um, expectations on the Bible while I'm reading it mm. and let the text speak for itself, which I was like, that's interesting. And they're coming from like a more progressive kind of point of view. But it makes me think too, like, I think I actually made, I don't know if we talked about this before on the podcast, but I made a post where I said like, do you think that when Jesus left, the other 99 and went after the one sheep. Do you think there was inherent risk in what he did? And all these people were trying to think about the context of the passage and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm just talking about the analogy itself. Forget, forget your theology for a minute. Like just the analogy itself, but everybody wanted to be technically correct on how they were approaching it, which is almost like, seems to me a little bit pharisaical because it's a metaphor and i feel like metaphors can be taken so many different ways but behind some of this too there were people who were thinking are you talking about the blm movement because now i got to be careful how i answer this yes, question right when in reality i was kind of wow. talking about covid but <laughs> anyways but this is my thing though i'm like okay within that analogy it was nuts to me that people were like no, there's no risk in leaving the 99 because the 99 are all secure Christians yeah. and Jesus is going off after that one wanderer who's not a Christian. He's not in our club. He doesn't believe what we do. So he's not safe. So he's going after him. And I'm like, really? Really? Like, I, I'm pretty sure that that illustration really is talking about him risking the 99 which is such an interesting concept to me right. because when we say oh we can't risk that to save these people i'm like well i think that's what reckless love does <gasps> oh i hit another theological thing didn't i <laughs> no politics no theology john <laughs> no anything yeah you know i think that when it comes to jesus's parables you know one of the interesting points i remember reading and some book on hermeneutics or whatever in Bible college and seminary um, is that it was kind of like when it comes to the parables, you have to be careful about dissecting them in a very line by line exegetical sort of way, because the context of a parable is almost kind of like a joke. You mm -hmm. tell a joke and somebody gets it or they don't. And the parables kind of have that essential effect of, of a joke is there's always kind of like a punchline in there. And you're either meant to get it or you don't. And if you, you know, don't get it, then the joke's basically not for you. 
Um, and, and so when people get super scientific and technical, and that's not to say we shouldn't, you know, maybe look at them from that same way, um, when it comes to the text, but, you know, has anybody ever sat there and dissected, um, you know, Steve Martin stand up routine, uh, to try to make sense of his jokes and what they really meant or, or anything like if you're sitting there trying to dissect Steve Martin's stand-up routine, um, you're, you're missing the point. Well, and you've probably experienced this too, where you've read a passage and like a couple of years later, you read the passage again and it completely hits you differently and mm -hmm. it hits you. It speaks to you in that moment. And it's because the Bible is a living document. Like it's a document that actually speaks to you in a way no other text does. And I'm like, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And so it's no. just funny to me how people just could not get outside of their theological box or their political box and being able to hear what I was just trying to illustrate. And again, it was incoherent and not brilliant to them. And I'm like, <laughs> I still argue it was brilliant, but that's okay. It was, it was genius certified. <laughs> I, I don't need your affirmation. I'm, I'm, I'm dark coffee for the soul or whatever I said. <laughs> You're one bitter cup, John. I'm one bitter cup. <laughs> hey, so um, my, uh, my parents, when I was a teenager, they bought a raspberry um, farm. And I lived there for like a couple of years um, while I was finishing up high school. But I was thinking it's kind of funny to call it a raspberry ranch. And then it got me thinking, what are some ridiculous ranch ideas? Like, can like just about anything be a ranch? Are we talking about the dressing? No, like a place. That's, uh, that's... Oh, oh. Uh, so we're not talking about the things you dip vegetables in? Okay. Um, I don't know. I guess, I mean, Hugh Hefner had the bunny ranch, right? <laughs> that was pretty ridiculous. Um, I am not going to try to like... Nope. I'm not going to riff on that. Okay. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I read something that I thought was really interesting. Um, they said, and I, I think this may be the root of this is um, Judaism, but it's like this idea that to speak the name of God at all is a level of arrogance because you are speaking as if you know what you are talking about. God is available in the breath. Oh man, this is not written well. <laughs> what did I write? What did you write? Um, God is available in the breath. Take and give away. You can't own it. I don't know, but this idea of speaking the name of God is a certain level of arrogance. I'm like, that's interesting because it's like, what do I really know about God? And I think it's kind of like we have these structures of theology that makes us think we've got it all kind of figured out, but it's, it's kind of like science in a way, because it's like, well, this is what I know so far about God. And how can we present that with a level of humility? Because I, I don't know about you, but I'm just, I'm sick of egotistical people stating stuff as if it's fact when it really isn't. Mm. And so it's like approaching God with humility and talking about God with humility and saying, I'm still figuring this out. All I know is right now is that God is love 
And I'm coming to grips with this idea that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the way to the Father. And it's like, God is love. Jesus is the way, truth, and the life to love. And when we say Jesus is the way, I feel like it's more than just like, ask him into your heart, and now you got your fire insurance. I feel like it's like, Jesus, if Jesus is the way, it's like I need to model myself after Jesus because that is the way to love. Right. And I'm like, that's, that's what I'm trying to wrap my mind around right now. And it's funny because when I bring this up with some Christians, they're just like, oh, no, no, I can explain it all to you. And I'm like, no, no, no. I don't want your explanation. I need to, I need to walk through this right now. It's a process. You know, in one of the epistles, it, was, uh, it talks about how um, it warns teachers about how teachers uh when i say teachers i don't mean like kindergarten teachers i mean like bible teachers um would be receive the stricter judgment um so i think it kind of you know behooves us to always whenever we preach on something even if we're very confident about you know what the doctrine is and where it's in the scriptures and what jesus says about it and stuff like that it, having an arrogant attitude about it is almost impossible uh, if you're going to take the exhortation seriously that, um, you know, we should be careful when we're teaching because we are going to be individuals who are held accountable for that teaching. Um, I mean, Jesus already said you're going to be held accountable for every idle word in the day of judgment, um, but also, you know, you're going to be held to a stricter judgment according to the apostles um, for, for your teachings. So you have to kind of watch yourself. And so you can't, well, while there's definitely a place for boldness, um, and speaking boldly in the name of Jesus, um, there has to come a natural humility, um, with that because, you know, everything you're saying is going to be subject to judgment seat one day. Um, and so you should be very careful, um, with what you say, not out of a fear, well, God's going to send me to hell, but just to know that you're, you're being trusted with the oracles of God and um, that these things involve bigger matters than you. Um, so there is no place for your arrogance when you're having to deal with something that's bigger than what you are. Life and death is in the tongue. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. I was thinking um, if you do some basic math, worship songs wouldn't need to be so wordy. <laughs> why do you say that well it's like you know oh the wait i think i was thinking more so about good good father i'm like why does it need to have two goods <laughs> there's got to be a better way of saying that they could say it loudly like really good father i guess that's not necessarily math but it's like we could quantify better instead of using I mean, can you think, are there other songs? Like, I'm trying to think, um, well, even no, you, no. you are so, so good to me. It's like, right. you were like really good to me. <laughs> what's, what's that uh, Carrie Job and Elevation song that came out recently? Um, oh, I don't know if I've heard it. Oh, gosh. I, I, uh, forget it. Elevation. <laughs> no, uh, hold on. Let me go. We have the internet before us. Let me. Joe, we have the internet before the us. The blessing, the blessing with Carrie. Oh, Jones. and your children, and yeah, your children, children, and their children, and, and our children. It's like all of them, just all of them. And she just says, "Amen." Them, Carrie, 
I'm reading the lyrics here. Not only are children said like a dozen times, he is for you. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. Like, <laughs> wait, he is for you. See, this they is where the math comes in. How many right. times did they say he is for you? Uh, see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, um, 10, 11. Is that all in a 12, row, 13, though? 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. In no, a row? Not all, of, not all of it's in a row, uh, but there's like entire choruses that are like eight or nine times in a row. Okay, so like, let's just say like, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you. For your children, for your children, for your children. <laughs> See, you just need to do that to the power of five. Right. There we go. That's the math. Now I, like I remember my notes. At first it was incoherent, but now I think it's brilliant. But I mean, you might still think it's incoherent. So like, whatever. <laughs> I like that song, but I will say I feel like it's a little lazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do I don't hate the repetition though cuz I All think right. there's times where you you build the repetition repetition like the song Oceans, if you don't do it exactly like it's written and keep saying that um get a walk upon the water whatever, right? That part um, if you don't keep doing it the same amount of times, I'm just not satisfied with the song. I'm like, you have to do it as many times as they did. There's like a radio version that cuts it short. I'm like, the song is ruined. It's ruined. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> you know, the, the song, The Blessing with Carrie Job, you, you, you've seen the movie Elf, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know how they bring in the uh, midget cartoonists at the end of the show yeah, yeah. Uh, to throw them together a quick Christmas special? Mm-hmm. The blessing kind of has that feel on it, don't you think? Like, like they are like elevations. Like, man, we got to do something that's going to be number one, and it's going to be big. Who can we get? Who can we? Get? Who's hot? Carrie Job, she's hot. You know, so they partnered with her, brought her in. Oh, and, the same idea as bringing the little person. Yeah. Right. So it's like they brought her in. Uh, so she's the angry elf uh, in this uh, setup here. Anyway, Carrie that's Job, the angry elf. I think we should close with that. <laughs> Oh, man. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Jimmy. Thanks, John, for having me on. It was Go fun. to jimmythetalkingtable.org. <laughs> I wonder if that's a thing. <laughs> probably not. Careful now. <laughs> uh, yeah, you got to be very careful. It's yeah, probably I know. Like I should not function. just make up URLs. What's right. the real URL? It's jimmystable.com, right? Right, jimmystable.com jimmytable.com and I don't know go on Twitter and find me bridge live what I'm here to entertain all of you I feel entertained yeah hey, have you ever noticed like I don't know if you ever listened to um, Joe Rogan's podcast no I can't it's too much for me it's four hours long and then it's like it's just too much too, oh, sometimes I, it just gets like explicit. Like I'm like, what are yeah, you doing? It's, but, it's too, it's too crass for me. I can't, I don't mind but, little obscenities and stuff every now and then, but it's just yeah. over the top. Yeah. Um, there's, um, I know there's like his sign off. He's always like, love you. And he does like this kissy thing. I'm like, oh, it's so <laughs> awesome. 
But anyways, my wife says I need a, a better sign off for my show. Uh, like I need to, besides the, the end audio or something like I need some sort of slogan or something to close it out with other than just repeating the name of my show and how people can email me. Well, I'm just going to stick to this and I'm going to close with this. Catch you all on the flippity floppity. Air smudge.